0: The life.
1: All right, Katie. Welcome. How are you?
0: I'm doing great, thank you.
1: How is life in Florida these days?
0: It is warm and very humid, kind of like swimming through soup when you walk outside.
1: Oof! That doesn't sound fun.
0: Well, I'm a big fan of the humidity, but my husband, on the other hand.
1: If you love the humidity, you'd really love Cleveland in the summertime.
0: Yeah, I'm a big humidity fan. I'm definitely in the minority on that one.
1: Yeah, come out to Lake Erie. We'll get you out there. You'll (laughs) love it. Um, So, let's talk about, let's get right to it. Um, I see what you do. Uh, You're you're a binge eating therapist and you help people overcome um, what seems to be probably a very frustrating uh, disorder for people. So, give us a little background about how, first off, how, how you got involved even in, in this space.
0: Um, well, I'll make one minor edit there. Um, I'm actually not a therapist. We actually don't use therapy even at all um, in our methodology. Um, and I, the reason why I really got into this is because, um, well, aside from the fact that I was struggling with binge eating myself. One of the things that I noticed, having worked in the weight loss world for a long time in my previous life, um, was that there were some people who were really successful in doing things like diets or boot camps or plans to drop the extra weight, and then they would just stay that way, and it wasn't a big deal. Whereas there's other people who would be dieting for decades and yo-yoing and restricting and then binging and then the binging got out of control and there would be you know months in one extreme and months in another extreme and i wondered why that was the case and i i thought of myself as one of those people who fell into those extremes on one hand i could be really fit and really healthy and i led talks on healthy foods and healthy living and on the other side of that, secretly, I would go home and binge after. Mm. And um, and I at the time, I was not open about this because I didn't want to ruin my career. Um, but I discovered that this is actually a lot more common than I think most people realize. And um, one of the, the big stigmas that's out there is that binge eating is a mental illness and I would actually disagree with this and I believe that one of the reasons why um, it's not being solved very well medically is because it's not actually a medical issue I believe it can cause medical issues but I don't believe the actual binging is medical I actually see it more as a habit um, a very strongly ingrained habit And once we started treating um, and coaching people out of binge eating, basically what we do is we train people to go from decades of binge eating to to achieve food freedom, which means you can eat whatever you want, whenever you want, but without that fear of being out of control. Mm -hmm. Um, And what we found is that that process is really a process of habit change, not necessarily on a superficial level, like how you might think, oh, just replace binging with drinking water or calling a friend it, it does go beyond the surface level because the habits go into the not just the, the conscious mind but the subconscious mind as well so it's multi many layers of of habits right. but at the same time it is still habits so we've found that when we help people really become normal eaters when they haven't been normal eaters for so long that if we, if we treat it as a strongly ingrained habit and we look at these deeper habits that are universal, really be beneath everybody who binges, then we actually have a lot of success. And we've seen our success um, so much faster than traditional forms of treatment, um, purely by looking at it from this model and implementing strategies and support that go along with building um, new sustainable habits that really help people not just on a uh, physical level but more even deeply on a subconscious level as well. Around food.
1: Well when you say subconscious and conscious, so l- let's talk about the habit part because doesn't ha- wouldn't habits be formulated through uh, thoughts and feelings in our brains?
0: Exactly, so what some people I think get confused about which is why I made the distinction is a lot of people will try to avoid binge eating by trying to put some other activity in its place so they might go for a walk or chew gum or try to do basically it's an it's a method of avoidance or distraction when an urge comes the problem with that is that you're not actually dealing with the urge. It's more of an avoidance technique, which will only work for so long. So someone might go out for a walk to distract themselves from binging, but then they'll binge as soon as they get home from their walk. So um, so when I talk about habits, you know, people who struggle with binge eating tend to also have a lot of Not just the physiology of their habits, that's part of it too, we actually work quite a bit with physiology, but there's also the element of uh, the, the conscious thoughts. Um, uh, And a lot of the habits actually come along as restrictive thoughts. You shouldn't be eating that. That's bad for you. Don't eat that. If you have this now, you're never going to get it. You better have as much as you want because you're never going to get to have it again. There's these restrictive patterns, uh, thought patterns. Mm -hmm. And restriction is one of the biggest causes of binge eating. Which sure. is why most people who struggle with binge eating have a long history of dieting, long history of food rules,
1: all right, kinds is, of restrictions. Which is kind of counterintuitive so, to, to people that people that might not understand it. It doesn't make sense, but but and I'm sure we'll get more into that. Um. Uh, with it with the dieting piece, but but real quick on on the mental stuff. Um. Why do you say that this is, this is obviously, you're saying subconscious thoughts, conscious thoughts, mental, all these things, but you don't think it's disordered. So, explain why this, in your opinion, is still not a mental disorder then. So,
0: I think it depends on how you look at the word disorder. Um, and I think that the language, the, the language is important here. Um, and it's also not important, <laughs> so I'll explain. So disorder, if you were to look at the word disorder, really what we're just talking about is something being out of order, right? And the truth is is that if we were to compare this to let's say a normal eater, someone who doesn't really think about food that much and just eats and stuffs when they're full. Mm-hmm and doesn't have to place any rules on themselves out of fear of, of being out of control. Normal eaters, if we were to compare that's that way of thinking, we could say it's disordered, it's out of order. Um, but when we look at things, I think a lot of times with, um, with the, the way that the word disorder is used, what I've seen anyway is once people be- believe they're quote-unquote diagnosed with binge eating disorder then they then they start going um, learning how to manage it. So right now, in the medical community, it's it's um, I think the word that's used more often is treatment right where people but what happens is people learn techniques not to get rid of the problem, but to manage it or to try to find more relief while living with it so a lot of the techniques that are taught are still avoidance based I'm not saying this is true in every single case but in a lot of them still that's what's taught Mm -hmm. Um, and I would say I don't know maybe 80% 80 of my clients in the past have done some form of therapy or medications um, which they claimed really affected the symptoms but then as soon as the, they were off of the medications it came back or um, or that it never really left in the first place. It was more focused on a symptom level rather than a... Um, and the other thing actually that's interesting is when it comes to a medical framework, one of my um, one of my clients is a therapist And she was uh, telling us about this mm. That um, with, When it comes to something like Therapy She said that th- There needs to be certain metrics That are used So a lot of times you do have to Or what is used is measuring Things like calories How much calories a person is eating um, In order to measure Success Or how much a person weighs in order to measure success whereas we because we're not within the medical framework we don't have to use those metrics and I actually find that those metrics using those metrics can actually be harmful because they still keep people focused on counting calories which is a lot of the things that that, that's what leads them to binge eating Um, so it can it can Take people into a loop. And it's not to say that therapy is wrong. I believe in therapy. I've used therapy myself. We've had lots of th- therapist and and dietitian and doctor clients. Um, however, I think it's important to kind of take that stigma away from binge eating as it's something that you're stuck with for life and that it's something that is out of control mm-hmm. um, because the truth is is when you look at it in terms of habit forming it's actually not it's actually something that can be shifted quite peacefully
1: it's actually uh, but it is it's, it's, it is formed you're saying it is more <clears throat> in your take on it is that it's this is a habit based um lifestyle is that is that fair or routine
0: i would say it's a deeply i would say it's a deeply ingrained habit yeah
1: it's a deeply ingrained habit how did you form your habits when looking back to yourself do you know what was causing that that to happen to you
0: um yeah i think there's i think there's multiple reasons why people develop that habit um i believe it's a form of um, I was actually talking about this the other day the word self-sabotage a lot of times back then I looked at it as I was sabotaging myself um, but really what I believe it actually was in hindsight was uh, self-preservation I believe a lot of self-sabotage actually is self-preservation because I, th- I think that it was serving me in a lot of ways to be eating that way it, it It made me feel like um, I was free, I can do whatever I want. I think because I was imposing so many food rules on myself back then, because I felt a lot of pressure to be a role model, I felt a lot of pressure to be healthy, um, that I took that to an extreme, and then I rebelled against that extreme. Mm. So, um, So if I was eating really healthy, that would be... Um, but, but from the, it was, it's not the, it's not the eating healthy that causes it. It's eating healthy from the energy of restriction, from the energy of, I'm not allowed Uh from the energy of, if I have one cookie, it all falls apart. So it's kind of like that all or nothing black or white thinking. And I think that's, um, a lot of the people I work with actually tend to have those like perfectionist tendencies, like that Type A. Everything's got to be in control. Everything's got to go right. I think that's why that personality type is attracted to diets, um, and and why it's when we look at it though from such a rigid standpoint, it becomes actually quite natural to want to rebel against all of those rules and restrictions. So I think a lot of times it does begin with rule and restrictions. That was part of it for me. And it also ended up becoming like an emotional crutch. You know, some people drink, some people smoke, some people eat, some people, you know, numb out in other ways. But when food becomes that way that you numb out or that way that you cope with emotions to not feel. Right then that in itself, you know, becomes addictive, and and I think a lot of people also justify and say, well, at least I'm not drinking, well, at least I'm not smoking, so um, food maybe is more socially acceptable to indulge in that way, but when it becomes that regular crutch that you... that you can't really cope with life without it, that's when it starts to become more debilitating and taking over your life.
1: I, I know you don't call it treatment because you're not a doctor and, and you don't look at it that way. What, what do you What do you consider yourself? What's your title? Well, um, you, you, said, really, you said not a therapist I, at the beginning. Yeah, yeah,
0: I don't think it matters a ton. I never really spent a lot of time thinking about it. Our, my job is to help people get to food freedom and I just lead people that way. Um, I think on my website, maybe I call myself a food freedom leader, but um, gotcha. You know what we do is we just take people who have been in decades of, of compulsive overeating patterns um, who feel you know really out of control, and we train them to become normal eaters. We train them to feel peaceful around food. That's really as simple as it as we can boil it down.
1: Sure. So, uh, um, yeah, I mean, it sounds like that the the causes, while I'm sure they're vast depending on the person and their lifestyle, their background, etc. it always seems like there is there's obviously something in the brain that's saying i'm going to do this because of x y or z. it's a it's a mind. it's something in the mind that's saying like you said it wasn't about like, you know, calorie count or anything like that, but for you it was i'm not allowed to do this so i'm going to do it.
0: exactly.
1: like, like you feel exactly. like you, you feel like you're you're you're, you're it's off limits, so I'm going to do it and then and then it probably just it creates a pattern on itself. So, um, some of the things that I saw prior to our conversation is that, uh, is that your clients, I would imagine, and people that have this issue um, have feelings of, of loss of control, have feelings of shame and guilt after they're done with the eating process. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, the shame and the guilt will usually come after. Um, it can come during for some people, but usually it's going to come after because it's why did I do that? I ruined everything. I should have known better. All of those thoughts and the type of people who I tend to attract, just personality wise, tend to be those overachiever types who you know are are successful in other areas of life. So it feels really uh, disaligned. Um, Mm -hmm. If that's a word With with (laughs) who they really are With their identity Yeah. A lot of times they'll say things like Why isn't that in any other area of my life I feel like I'm in control And this is the one area where it just feels crazy Like why can't I Control it um and the people who like, who tend to you know work with us they tend to love control so it's especially frustrating hmm. for them so give us, give, them glimpse, give us a little glimpse give us a little
1: glimpse of like your expertise and what 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 does a sample program look like
0: our our achieving food freedom program
1: yeah your your program or your coaching services what 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 kind of things are you doing to to get these people back on track
0: yeah so really it boils down to three phases. So the first phase is all about physiology. So if you think about our people, they what they want to create is a peaceful relationship with food. Now, I used to be a yoga teacher. So when I look at somebody phys- physically, I can see little areas where they hold tension or if if some if two people are having a conversation and I'm observing and one person starts to get riled up, you can... Yes, anyone could probably pick up on the fact that someone's riled up, but I notice, like, breath pattern changes. I notice where their, like, hands start to clench, that sort of stuff. Very nuanced things. So when it comes to cultivating a peaceful relationship with food, I actually start with the physiology. Um, So... If someone's feeling tense or anxious around food, their physiology will reflect that. It'll be, it'll be reflected in their breathing patterns. It'll be reflected in, in maybe they tense their jaw or clench their, their fists or, or furrow their brow, something like that. It'll show. And I actually start training people to relax all those places and to actually bring peace into the body and into the breath um, from the very, very beginning. Started, so, And the reason for that is because a lot of my clients, they're so intellectual, they're constantly thinking. Like Thinking is not something that they need to learn how to do. Right. So the last thing they need to do right off the bat is spend more time in their brain. They actually need to get more connected with their body again. And a lot of them have also lost their hunger and fullness signals um. So they, they can't even tell at any point anymore where they're hungry or where they're full or when it starts to get uncomfortable even. Oh, geez. So so we actually start working on a physiological level first to get them more connected with their body and they'll actually see where they're holding tension. They'll start to notice it on their own. They'll start to be able to shift their breathing patterns on their own. So even if they're around what we would call a trigger food, like that, those types of food where you have one bite and then it's all over... Um, we start to actually retrain their physiology around trigger foods as well and we find that usually in like a week or even a couple weeks that people actually stop binging just from this step alone and um, and then phase two so phase one is all about physiology can and you, then phase can I, can two I interrupt is, you real quick? is all about
1: can I interrupt you yeah. real quick sure, uh, go the, ahead. The, the trigger food part what's, what's an example of, of a trigger food a common trigger food
0: Um, Ice cream would be one. So it's the idea of I can't just have one spoon of ice cream Ah, or like a bowl of ice cream. I need to keep eating.
1: Gotcha. Yeah, I I think I have that problem too when I have ice cream.
0: Yeah, and some people, like I found myself, (laughs) some people don't have, some, some will have very specific trigger foods. Like it's this exact candy that I can't have or it's pizza that I can't have. Some people, though, will just kind of cycle through trigger foods based on whatever's around. Like that was me, like... For a while, peanut butter was my trigger food. Then chocolate was my trigger food. Then pizza was my trigger food. And I would just kind of, I would be, I could get addicted to anything. Um, yeah, so some yeah. people would consider like every food to be a trigger food, um, whereas other people have like very specific trigger foods that might have certain memories associated with them or something yeah. along those lines. That's things.
1: interesting. That, that, that is interesting because there are certain foods that where it's like no matter how much you have, it's never enough
0: exactly Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. okay so
1: that's the first part of the physiological and then you said you were going to the second step
0: yeah so the second stage is really all about um, the mind and really detaching from the mind and from thoughts uh, a lot of our clients take their thoughts very very seriously and if they have negative thoughts they take it as a sign that something's wrong and um what we help people do is actually be present with whatever thoughts are there without trying to push them away. Because it's kind of like saying, you know, uh, sometimes people say things like, oh, don't think of the purple elephant. Of course, you're going to think of the purple elephant as soon as somebody says that. So a lot of times, like they'll say, you know, in the, or the way they've been taught in the past, Oh try to avoid those thoughts Try to distract yourself from those thoughts Try not to think about it But really what happens is Things get buried down And it just causes all of this pent up anxiety And that will usually lead to more binging Since that's the coping strategy For not feeling emotions
1: Mm.
0: So we actually help people how to um, We teach them how to be more peaceful With their thoughts Even unpleasant thoughts And to allow themselves to look at them from more of an observer mentality, so allowing whatever is happening to happen while staying peaceful. So again, physiology will actually play another role even in this piece. Um, so it's it's um, a way to really feel at peaceful in any situation because what we find is that most of our clients will be trying to control their environment. So they'll they'll say, "Oh, I need to be able to." achieve this so I'm going to make sure I don't bring any foods into the house I'm going to make sure that my husband doesn't order in I'm going to make sure that my kids don't bring home Halloween candy I'm going to make you know there's so they're constantly trying to control their environment and we find that if you learn how to manage your inner environment and you feel safe within your own body and your own mind you don't really need to control everything else So my goal always when training someone is I want them to be in a position where whatever their trigger food is could literally rain down on their house and they would still feel peaceful. That's the point that we want to be able to get people to because then they don't have to avoid any part of their lives. They don't have to avoid going out to eat with friends because it won't match their diet or they don't have to avoid social events because they're afraid that they're going to binge after or avoid being alone at home because they're afraid they're going to binge. So there's... um, you know, a lot of times if you're trying to just control the external, you spend a lot of time avoiding your life, whereas if you just focus on controlling the internal and managing and staying peaceful within yourself, then it doesn't really matter so much what's going on around you because you can be that calm in the storm, so to speak. No,
1: that's, that's, uh, that's well said, well stated. Um, you mentioned earlier that a lot of your clients may have even been on strict diets, and that kind of goes back to what you just, piggybacking off what you just said. Um strict diets on you know on and off and on and off so do you, are you are you the type of person that feels that like these these i don't know these uh low carb or keto or whatever you Atkins whatever diet these people go on do you, are you against that that type of lifestyle
0: um i wouldn't really say i'm against anything because the truth is is i'm all, i'm working with a very specific population and maybe there would be some um maybe there would be some other populations that would benefit from these things. What I found is that um because I would say probably a hundred percent of the people I've worked with have been on some kind of low carb something or other or mm-hmm. diet or or any number of diets. And if it worked, then they wouldn't be where they are.
1: Right. You know? Right.
0: Um, and it goes back to the, res- it's the restrictive, it's
1: right? Heat. It goes back Sorry? to that. It goes back to that restrictive mentality where it's like, at some point, you're going to fall off the cliff.
0: And that's the thing, because what my what's interesting is a lot of my clients they say I want something that's sustainable, and then when I ask them that question of, okay, well, is eating keto for the rest of your life? Do you feel that that's sustainable? They say no. Yet they still try to do it or have tried to do it. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's it's. I think there's a lack of clarity a lot of times because a lot of times the reason why someone started dieting 30 years ago is different than the reason they're dieting now. Sure. They may have started dieting 30 years ago for any number of reasons. Maybe they wanted to lose weight. Maybe their mom put them on Weight Watchers when they were 12. It doesn't really matter the reason why they started, but... What happens, interestingly enough, is they'll start from this perspective of, I need to lose weight. Then, with all of these recurring diets, the binges start to get more and more severe. It usually tends to get worse as people get older, not better. Um... So the binges will get more and more severe. They'll be able to spend less and less time on a diet. Maybe it'll just be like I can only stay on a diet for half a day before I binge. Whereas before, you know, 20 years ago, maybe I could stay on a diet for six months. Now it's at the point where I can barely stay on it at all. Sure. So what we've found is that once they, um, it's really, uh, they, they start because they wanna lose weight, but then they try to use the dieting as a way to stop the binging. So they'll say, if I if I just stay on this diet, then I'll stop binging. The problem is, is that the diet is causing the binging. So they end up doing their diet, then they binge, then they say, all right, well, none, no more of this. I gotta cut all this out so I can be on my diet tomorrow. Then it happens again and again. Um, and not everyone makes this connection that it's the dieting itself it's the restricting itself that's propelling all of these binges yeah yet they've been doing it for like 30 years so they don't know what else to do and not only that but even if you're not officially on a diet like sometimes people will just try they'll they'll hear me speak and they'll say oh i heard her say that you should just eat whatever you want and that you shouldn't restrict and then they'll try doing that um, but what happens is there's still me- so they might not officially like quote unquote be on a diet but there's still those mental restrictions that they've been firing in their brain for 30 years that says oh you shouldn't eat that or yeah you can eat that but there will still be consequences and and there's still all of those mental restrictions yeah it's those so patterns. the mm-hmm. so the idea is that when you have when you hold the energy of I want to use the word abundance The energy of abundance, where you know you can have whatever you want at any time, anywhere, with anyone, then there's no need to eat it all right now. Because you know you have an abundance of time, you have an abundance of food, and you have an abundance of freedom to do whatever you want. So then there's no urgency to eat the entire bag in one night. That's why normal eaters don't have to, they don't have to tell themselves. Eat a serving size. <laughs> right. They just eat until they're full, and then they just naturally stop without really thinking about
1: it. That yeah, that makes sense. Before we finish up, um, uh, people that are listening, some maybe somebody's listening that that has an overeating uh, issue or a binge eating issue, and they're seeing it intensify. Just a simple low hanging fruit piece of advice. What's a good piece of advice to people that are struggling with this? What is a, a first step for them to kind of shift the tides and get out of it?
0: I think the most important first step is get really clear on what you want because I think a lot of people just scramble trying different things without the clarity of what is it that I actually want so if you were to look at your life ask yourself let's say I'm without this problem what do I want my life to look like do I want my relationship with food to be peaceful Do I want to be following food rules? Do I want to be abstaining from certain foods? Because if you actually have clarity on what you want, it's going to make your path much more obvious. One example, I have people all the time who say, I just want to stop dieting. I want to be, I want to feel peaceful around food and I want to just be a normal eater and not diet anymore. Yet for the last 20 years they've had this goal but they just keep dieting they keep trying new diets. so Mm -hmm. it's important get really clear on what your goal is and then ask yourself when you're choosing that path does this take me further to the goal or farther or closer to the goal or farther away from the goal
1: so it all starts with uh it, it really starts with your why right like what is your reason what is your why
0: exactly what is it that you what is it that you really want yes um and and also just to kind of uh, um one little piece there i think a lot of people don't actually they won't acknowledge what they want because they don't believe it's possible so do this exercise from the place of anything is possible so really ask yourself what is it that you want and assume that creating what you want is actually possible.
1: That's beautiful. And uh, people will link up your website, Katie. It's Katie. Is Am I saying your last name right? Popo?
0: Yes. KatiePapo.com. Katie,
1: okay. And, and you know, you can go on there, you can see success stories, videos, uh, Katie's work. She's got a whole team of people, they have a master class, etc. cetera. So, um, hey, Katie, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, sharing some insight into this, uh, like I said at the beginning, what would probably be a very frustrating thing for people. Um, And uh, the the interesting thing I find is that it's not one size fits all. You know, you you could look at someone, they might look like they're in great shape, but they have this binge eating issue. So you can't really tell on the outside what's going on. Uh, We'll link up uh, in the notes. I really appreciate you coming on and uh, enjoy your yoga class this morning. (laughs)
0: Thank you. You as
1: well. (laughs) Thanks. And we'll stay in touch.
0: All right, take care, Nathan. You too. Bye-bye.